Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mind on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And today I'll be speaking with Araceli Reyes, who is a licensed social worker as well as a primary therapist in the women's program at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health in central New Jersey. In this episode, Araceli will be discussing PTSD and the different trauma responses that are exhibited by characters in the Star Wars films. The hope being that using these well-known characters will help to illustrate how different trauma responses can manifest themselves in the real world. So I hope you guys find it helpful and enjoy the podcast. And how does it feel to know that you're going to be like the uh, pop culture correspondent for the Mind on Mental Health podcast? It, it feels awesome. I love being the <laughs> pop culture person because it's there's so much to draw from it's not like the empty well like the well's always full (laughs) because i think everyone's either seen star wars or heard star wars and i think when we touch upon pop culture we have a big audience who knows what that is absolutely and just in case some people out there haven't seen star wars can you just maybe wrap up the series in like two to three minutes Sure. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, <laughs> you think you I can mean, do that? All, all I, ten movies and oh my forty gosh. TV shows. <laughs> I need, like, I need to do the disclaimer that we're just focusing on the movies. Okay. Because Star Wars, the novelizations, there's such a thing as Star Wars ne- Legends, which is the novel series, which is very much loved. Comic books, TV shows. We're strictly looking at the film series so far. Okay. And just the fact that you know that there are these series that exist. You're a full-blown full blown Star Wars nerd, I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And I've given you the disclaimer. I'm, I'm a nerd about plenty of things. Star Wars, for whatever reason, just doesn't quite make the list for me. But I, I know I know enough. Like, I've seen the movies. You know the foundation. I know the foundation. The original. You know? I know the foundation. I don't know all the, what do they call it? canon yes i was just gonna frame it as we're looking at the film series which is considered the skywalker saga okay which starts from the beginning with anakin skywalker his rise and fall into the dark side Mm. looking at his children who've been separate separated from him and how they engage in this world and then the grandchild and new characters to this whole saga get brought in so that's how i was trying to like chop it up gotcha so we're talking about nine movies is that right yep nine okay because you have basically it's three trilogies right you have the the prequels which came out like when i was a kid kind of and then Mm -hmm. the originals and then you have the the ones with like ray and stuff that just came out like over the past couple years yes okay so you and I have already had a somewhat similar conversation to this, just in relation to the movie Encanto, but can you maybe tell people what makes you a good person to talk about this, or about your history with treating trauma, etc.? Sure. I'm a primary therapist at the Penn Medicine Princeton House Women's Program. Majority of our women that come into our program have been diagnosed with PTSD or mm-hmm have established once they enter into the program the diagnosis of PTSD. The primary goal of the program is to provide not only skills to attend to the trauma symptoms, 
but also provide psychoeducation on why you're experiencing those trauma symptoms. I've been in that role for about three years now, and a lot of that has been engaging with these women who struggle with PTSD symptoms. In terms of these trauma responses that we're going to be talking about today, you see them played out sort of in a very real world way. And again, the reason why I love doing sort of these movie podcasts where we talk about characters from movies is that this provides us a a great avenue to talk about what this can look like based on characters or people that everyone kind of knows, or, or at least they can watch the movie if they don't know them and see sort of an illustration of how these things can play out or what they can look like. You see that every day in real life, but for people who, who don't necessarily or need an example, they can they can check in with these movies and these characters to sort of get an understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about them. Not only get an understanding, but also be able to partake in a point of view if they have a loved one who mm-hmm. struggles with PTSD exactly. and has these threat responses. They can see something and make the connection. So if we're talking about PTSD and we're relating it to Star Wars, where should we start? We want to first define what PTSD is, mm-hmm. which is the full version of that acronym is post-traumatic stress disorder. The word we want to focus on is trauma and post. Trauma is defined as an event or a series of events in which the brain, the human brain and ourselves were unable to cope with that said event and threat responses were then activated in response to that event. The word post within that diagnosis is important because it demonstrates that these threat responses are occurring after the trauma is over. Sometimes people experience these symptoms years, months after the trauma has ended. The two important distinctions you're making are post. So these are symptoms that will pop up after the actual traumatic event has occurred. Yes. So in other words, your body, your mind is still reacting to this event as if it's presently happening, even though it isn't. Yes. And then what was the other distinction? That when it comes to the trauma symptoms, that that is a trauma is defined as an event or series of events in which the body and brain was unable to cope with that said event. Okay. And threat responses were elicited. So maybe another another natural place for us to go here is just talking about what threat responses are. Mm-hmm. So can you kind of define those for us? Sure. We have the ones that are commonly known in the vernacular, which is fight, flight, and freeze. Mm -hmm. What a lot of people haven't been educated on is that there's more. There's one called submit collapse, and the other one's called attach. Okay. So I... Look, I'm already learning something because I've definitely heard of fight, flight, freeze, submit, collapse, and attach are new ones for me. So can we maybe run through each of them and just discuss sure. how what they might look like, how they could pre- present themselves clinically? Will do. When we look at the first response, which is the fight response, 
we're seeing an individual who's experiencing this fight response that they're very well defended. So what does that mean in everyday life? It means that they like a lot of control. Mm-hmm. They can be very on guard. Uh, that could present itself as being very irritable, angry. And at times this could lead to either being self-destructive or destructive towards others. And they're doing this because that response is inadvertently or intentionally telling them this is the way to survive in the world. So we must fight to survive. And it could look like verbal, physical, or just a way of engaging in someone are the different manifestations and arenas that fight response can occur in. So I think maybe a good way to think about these these trauma responses, and you correct me if, if I'm wrong, but the way that I have always thought about them is that it's all about survival, right? So if yes. you're in a um, potentially dangerous situation or you're, um, you're in a, uh, a situation where you potentially feel like your life is at risk or something, these are sort of the natural things, the natural behaviors that might occur in order for you to defend yourself. Yes. Okay. And another thing to expand upon is that these responses are are meant to be with us. We mm-hmm. needed them, like you said, in order to survive as a human race. What occurs when we have PTSD is that these responses are occurring when there are no threats right. in the environment. Because the brain has been so heavily impacted by the experienced trauma that it's our brain is naturally constantly scanning for threats. But when we experience trauma, it becomes more sensitized to mm-hmm. perceiving threats. So you could just walk into a room, the brain perceives something, and it may, if you have PTSD, activate a threat response. So in other words, and I think not to throw more terms in here, but what we're really talking about here is hyperarousal, correct? Yes. there And hyperarousal is one of the facets that we look at. There's also hypoarousal. Mm-hmm. When we're hyperaroused, usually that's when the responses of fight, flight, and freeze occur. Mm-hmm. And when we're hypo, that's when the submit attach occurs. Okay. So hyperarousal is almost like that, you know, you have all that adrenaline running through Mm -hmm. your body. Uh, You're ready to take action, right? Exactly. Um, So fight, you're ready to fight somebody or something. Um, You're ready to run away. But hypoarousal is sort of the polar opposite of that. It's almost like you become um, detached um, Mm -hmm. and you have uh, less energy kind of shut down. Um, so that's when we're saying that that would be like a freeze response or like you said, an attach response. Uh, is that correct? Usually in hypo, that's when submit occurs. Freeze, freeze is actually hyper arousal because even though physically we're not moving internally, the brain's Mm. going a thousand miles per minute. Good point. Good distinction. Okay. So sorry, I feel like we almost kind of just went off on a tangent uh, when we were discussing the the first trauma response, which is the fight response. But the fight response, it sounds like is is almost kind of self-explanatory, right? So you're kind of pumped up, you're uh, revved up to to fight, to defend yourself against any perceived threats. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and I think it's good to note that all of them, 
will activate based on a perceived threat mm-hmm. because the brain's really quick in the sense that as soon as it perceives a threat, it's going to decide on its own. It's, it's not a conscious decision. What's the best threat response for this mm-hmm. perceived threat? Mm-hmm. So one doesn't occur for any threat we come across. They tend to vary based on the brain's assessment of what it feels it's the appropriate course of action. Makes a lot of sense. I guess if you think about that just from like an evolutionary standpoint, you know, if you come across, this is, this might be a kind of a wild analogy, but we'll see what, where it goes. If you come across it, if you get attacked by like an animal in the wild, your fight response might be more likely to kick in if it's, you know, a small animal or something. Yep. Um, whereas the freeze response might kick in more if, you know, we're talking about like a giant bear or something that's coming mm-hmm. to attack you because you know you don't have you don't have much of a chance in that in that fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that is that sort of what we're saying? Yep, okay. flea may occur if you see a snake because you may be faster than a snake going after you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, the brain's just going to assess automatically what's the best response. All right, so if we sort of think about this fight response and and we relate it to Star Wars, I'm wondering if there's a character in the Star Wars movie movies that are, sort of epitomizes this fight response, in your opinion. There is. And even though a lot of us would think of Darth Vader, I think a much better representation is Kylo Ren. And let mm-hmm. me expand upon that. When we look at the character of Kylo Ren, we see someone that's always on, it seems like they're on the verge of fighting everything and everyone. They're very, very guarded. The character of Kylo Ren, their anger is very much felt by everyone around him. Mm -hmm. The way he reacts to even slight disappointments It's this huge response of anger and fighting. For example, in the first movie, The Force Awakens, when he receives word that they lost the droid, he just destroys a mechanical panel. And that is a good representation at how this fight response is very much on guard and ready to react at a slight inconvenience perceived threat and for him the threat is threat to self the threat that i can't get this done and we lost Mm -hmm. this droid so i'm going to react in a way that is fighting so is that sort of how the fight response might look not in fictional characters but uh like if someone is experiencing or has been diagnosed with ptsd could you maybe notice sort of that they might have like anger outbursts and not not necessarily know where it's coming from or it might seem like it's kind of out of nowhere or maybe that the um, intensity of the anger doesn't really match with the severity of the situation like maybe they're uh, getting really angry about something that doesn't to you seem like a big deal is that sort of how it might look in real life yes it can okay Especially when you see that their reaction to the said event is either A, out of proportion to the event, like you alluded to. Mm -hmm. Also, it just maybe feels like it comes out of nowhere. And Mm -hmm. that's because the brain has perceived a threat and they're just reacting. 
Also, it could be that because of this pretty pervasive fight response, that they're always at some degree of heightened irritability, anger, heightened energy level, because you need a lot of energy to be that on guard throughout Mm. your life. So that is definitely something that can occur within an everyday person. Yeah, and I don't know why I just had this thought, but just thinking about how exhausting that must be, right, to constantly be on guard like that and um, have sort of all that that anger, that hyper arousal, uh, even about sort of small situations. I just imagine that that's got to be so draining. It is. And if referring back to the character of Kylo Ren, he is a very wounded individual. Mm-hmm. And you see that in various degrees throughout the three films. And we also notice that he's constantly fighting mm-hmm. and that inadvertently fuels the other. I guess a small disclaimer, we should say Kylo Ren. He's sort of the main quote unquote bad guy in the newest trilogy, right? Played by Adam yes. Driver. Yes, he is. Okay. Just for for people who aren't necessarily Star Wars aficionados, but if they want to see sort of a good illustration of this fight response, that would be sort of the reference point is that the third set of trilogies, the newest, the most recent one. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Is there anything else we should say about this? Should we note his trauma just so we could connect that he's just not a character that's just angry for the sake of angry, <laughs> but there's a reason? He's just an angry elf. Um, <laughs> sure. Yes, we should. We should. So um, what would, I mean, in terms of the, the films, obviously you only see so much of their backstory and whatnot, but what, what would you sort of identify as maybe his trauma? In terms of what we see in the film, his primary trauma is his uncle Luke's, because Luke Skywalker is his uncle. He okay. is the child of Leia and Han Solo. Luke betrays Kylo Ren and tries to kill him in the second film. And Kylo Ren is asleep when this is attempted. He wakes up, he sees Luke standing over him armed with a lightsaber and that is a traumatic event that is the point of trauma that kind of leads to everything else Mm -hmm. that goes on within the sequel to a trilogy okay i could imagine that that's pretty traumatic yes (laughs) your uncle coming after you with a lightsaber okay yeah that makes a lot of sense so then we're saying that his trauma response kind of gets kicked off and his reaction to that is that this fight response basically Mm -hmm. okay how would that initial trauma response sort of lead to a, an ongoing pattern of this fight response? In the initial scene where Kylo Ren wakes up to see Luke Skywalker over him with a lightsaber ready to strike, mm-hmm. Kylo Ren immediately force pulls his lightsaber to defend himself and fight back. Hypothesis is, is that ever since that moment where he had to fight against his own family member to survive, he has continued to fight, and that's been the most comfortable threat response to engage mm. in to protect himself. I guess I'm wondering, and this might be kind of an out there question, so I don't know. Do you think it's because in in the films and, and maybe in real life, like if, if someone feels more comfortable, like they are good at defending themselves, they're good at fighting, then fight might be their fight response. If, if they're... Um, if, if they're comfortable fleeing or they feel like they're particularly skilled at that, then that might be their their trauma response. I guess what I'm saying is, like, does the person 
I guess, choose consciously or unconsciously based on what they think they're most skilled at, if that makes sense? That's a complicated question, a very good one. Mm -hmm. And we want to differentiate it. At the moment where the brain perceives a threat, it is not a conscious choice. Right. If a person has the skills in order to attend to that level of activation and get back more into rational decision-making and thought process, you can do that. You can pick and choose, I want to fight. I don't think that's the right decision at this time. Maybe I need to flee. Mm -hmm. But that takes a lot of skills. It doesn't happen automatically. It takes a lot of retraining um, the traumatized brain, as we call it, to get to that point where we can choose which will be the best response for this situation. Gotcha. I'm not sure if this is almost like a silly question, but I guess I was just kind of thinking like, hey, if I'm a trained MMA fighter, then maybe fight might be my uh, sort of my go-to trauma response. Whereas, you know, if I'm uh, if I run track, then flee might be sort of more my wheelhouse. So I don't know. I, I just kind of had that thought and I wanted to throw that. Oh, no, that's definitely a possibility, especially if it's been reinforced mm -hmm. um, throughout our life by family, by peers, internal reinforcement that we reinforce ourselves in this behavior. That can be a facet of it. Right. Okay, great. So I think we we covered the fight response. Kylo Ren, look him up if, if you're looking for a good illustration of that. So uh, should we move on to another threat response? Let's let's go on to flee. Let's go on to flee. So flee, I'm assuming, is uh, running away and maybe physically or, or mentally, emotionally. How should we think about it? We should think about the flight response in all those terms. Flight response can be the physical fleeing from a perceived threat. It could also be the emotional fleeing. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like in everyday life? It could look like we change the subject in a conversation that we really don't want to mm -hmm. get into. It could be that we have a very distant relationship with others and don't necessarily get emotionally close to them. Within the field, other things that are representations of the flea responses are addiction, suicidal behavior, and eating disorder behavior. Mm -hmm. Also, it could leave a person feeling very ambivalent about things, being very unsure of how to proceed. And that is another manifestation of the flea response. So the way that I'm thinking about it that was kind of helping me to conceptualize it is not flea almost as much as like escapism. Does that sound right? So like Yes, um, there like, is a facet of escapism. You're on you're on the ball with that. Okay. Um a lot of times it can result in excessive daydreaming and that could be a way to flee. Mm -hmm. Um getting lost in social media can be a manifestation of flea response. Sure. Um so you're correct with that. So we can think of like physically running away, fleeing, but also it's sort of Anything you can do to escape your mental state, escape your thought process about the traumatic event or trauma symptoms or difficult emotions that might be coming up for you, like when you said substance use, I'm assuming that we're, we're considering that a flea response, even though you're not necessarily running. Um, you're you know, running from the, the emotion or the thing that's coming up for you. Right. You're, you're taking some kind of substance to change the way that you feel because you don't like the way you feel. Is that correct? Something we want to add is that in our minds and the way our body is reacting to that perceived threat, 
which could be anything, mm-hmm. um, is that it feels that fleeing is something we must do. Mm-hmm. So the thought process is, oh, this emotion's here, so I need to flee. We don't even get to that point sometimes right. in in um, early threat response reaction. Mm. It just happens. Yeah. So I, I guess it's an automatic response. Yes. At, at, until you kind of train yourself out of that. Correct. It, you don't have that conscious thought of, oh, hey, here's this uncomfortable emotion that I don't like. How can I, how can I flee from this? It, it's not that black and white. It's just you know you have that feeling and then boom you do the thing mm-hmm. to get rid of it you know, good good point good distinction okay so all those are sort of examples of fleeing what fleeing can look like again this is another way to sort of deal with a potential threat uh again if we take it back to sort of the survival instinct if i'm being chased by a bear through the woods one possible way to respond to that is by running and trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. Although I think probably in that case, that that might not be the best, uh, the best option, but you never know. And so how can we relate this to Star Wars? Is there a character that you, you see in the Star Wars films that sort of encapsulates this response? Actually, Andy, I have two characters. Whoa, curveball. So, so first one we're looking at is Master Yoda. Yoda. I wasn't expecting that. All right. If we look at the prequel trilogy, Mm -hmm. when basically everything has gone to the dark side, the Jedi Order has fallen, Master Yoda is one of the last survivors of the Jedi. Mm -hmm. And he identifies at the end of the third film that he has failed, so he must flee. So he flees to Dagobah which is the planet he ends up being isolated in till we get to him a bunch of years later. Mm -hmm. And the threat of failure or the intense emotion associated with what he perceived as failing led him to flee. And also there's an element of, I need to protect myself. I'm one of the last ones. And they're basically searching for any Jedi to eliminate. I must flee. Mm-hmm. So he fleed to Dagobah. So the trauma in this case could be uh, this intense feeling of failure. Uh, and also, if I'm remembering correctly, just probably being on the battlefield yes. and seeing all this, you know, horror and trauma. An intense loss. Mm-hmm. He and Obi-Wan went to the Jedi Temple and saw everyone who had passed from Order um, 66. Mm -hmm. And that tremendous loss, compiled with everything else, probably fueled this flea response to occur. Sure. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that, because Yoda's sort of the, uh, he's like the OG. Let's not remove his wisdom, though. (laughs) With everything that was going on, it probably was the safest thing to do was to flee. He yeah. didn't ha- he didn't have the ability to fight. He didn't have the people in order to help him regain peace. That was even though it didn't feel great and it didn't feel great for us viewers to see that happen. Mm-hmm. It was the best option at the time for him was to flee. So I think this might be a good place 
to kind of pause and just talk about that concept a little bit because in my experience and you can correct me if i'm wrong oftentimes an important part of trauma treatment is helping someone make peace with the fact or be okay with the fact that you know when they experienced the trauma they survived it the best way that they knew how and and you know thank god for that in a lot of cases um but thank god for that in every case Mm -hmm. but there can be this feeling of shame that comes along with whatever the response was so like if we if we take this example of of yoda there could maybe be a feeling of shame that he didn't stay and fight you know with his comrades uh and instead he fleed but there was a lot of wisdom, like you said, in that decision. At the end of the day, it kept him alive. So am I right in saying that? or is You are right in okay. saying that. All these threat responses, and I teach this to my clients whenever we go over this, these threat responses are very valiant. Mm-hmm. They're meant to serve our best interest. They get the job done at the time when they're needed. We are left afterwards thinking, was it the right thing to do? And when we look at the facts, we usually come to the conclusion it may have been the only thing that could have been done to protect you or others. Mm -hmm. And how do we attend to that shame and soothe it? Okay. We don't really need to expand on that much more than that, but I just think it's sort of an important point to highlight when we're talking about all of this is that, like you said, there's a lot of wisdom and and all of these are valiant in their own way because they keep us alive. Alive, right. So I just want to make sure that we, we kind of mentioned that. No, good job. Okay, so you said you had two characters for me in the, in the flea response. Number Dude. one was Yoda. Let's hit number two. This one may hurt a little bit, Andy. <laughs> we'll see. It's, it's Luke. Uh, well, you know, I should have seen that coming. Because I know that the true Star Wars nerds out there, like yourself, were not very happy with the, this third trilogy because yeah. they sort of, they sort of, I guess they they made Luke not who who all the nerds wanted Luke to be. If I'm yeah. remembering correctly, is, is that a fair yeah. assessment? It is a fair assessment, and for me, it's kind of like anything with life; it's more complicated. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> Luke. In the sequel trilogy, we kind of see the series of events where he tries to kill his nephew. Mm -hmm. This was Kylo Ren who we talked about. This is Kylo Ren who back in, before he turned to the dark side, Kylo Ren was Ben Solo, his nephew. Luke has a nightmare, a vision of Ben turning to the dark side and destroying everything. And Luke proceeds to try to kill Ben Solo. So we have almost like a combo fight to then flee response. Mm -hmm. After that all occurred and Ben Solo defended himself, Ben Solo, who then turned Kylo Ren, destroyed the temple. All the students were either taken or killed. And Luke, because of that, flees to an Mm -hmm. isolated planet, doesn't tell anyone where he's going. And he mirrors what Yoda did. And he fled to this planet where he not only fled from people, fled from what occurred, but basically fled from the force and totally 
disconnected himself from the force, which connected him to everything. You're in shock with that. And I'm in, I'm, I'm in total shock. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, but I really do remember there being like a backlash, I think. Oh, no, there was. Yeah, yeah. There completely was. People were very, very angry. And yet it kind of made sense, too, mm-hmm. even though. Like, he was young, idealistic, and then he fell into hubris and then decided to react on a nightmare and try to kill his nephew. So it kind of makes sense (laughs) in the grander scheme. Yes, absolutely. All right. So, hey, two flea responses from Yoda and Luke. All right. So we've done the fight response and then we also hit the, the flight slash flea response. Uh, now, what's the third one we should talk about? It's freeze. Okay, freeze. It's freeze. So, what happens when we freeze? When we freeze, it feels like we can't physically move. We feel frozen in place. Mm-hmm. Even though physically there may not be much going on, internally our brain is going a thousand miles per minute because we're terrified. This is an important piece to this that we should definitely talk more about, right? Because freeze sounds like it's it's almost a passive response when in reality it's kind of the complete opposite. Yes, that is that is correct. Because even though physically from what's visible, nothing's really happening. Like right. someone could just be standing there. But we may perceive their eyes may be a little bit widened. Their breathing may have quickened. Because internally, there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot Mm -hmm. of emotions are being experienced during that freeze response. Right. But the reason why that's important is because if we know people who have experienced a traumatic event and maybe they do seem a little disconnected, it could be easy to think that, you know, I don't know, maybe they're not all there or they're not really experiencing much. You know, they don't seem necessarily like they're anxious or they're uh, scared at the moment. But in reality, their mind could be going 100 miles a minute and they can really be very in a very heightened state, a very anxious state, even though it doesn't appear like that on the outside. Mm -hmm. And we may also perceive that eh, they're okay. They're just sitting there. But you really need to kind of engage with them because that may not be what's happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how else can this kind of manifest itself? It can manifest itself in other different ways. We have that stereotypical presentation, but we could also have things where, you know, it may be hard to speak because we're Mm. so activated and frozen. Words may be at the tip of our tongue or it may be hard to get the thought to be spoken because we're engaged in that freeze response. Mm -hmm. So it could take a real toll on your speech? Yes. Okay. Are there any other ways this could kind of present itself that maybe don't necessarily sound like quote-unquote freeze characteristics? Something we may also experience, if this answers your question, is that we could experience a lot of muscle tension and feel Mm. like we're full of energy, but we can't move. Mm. So Mm. it feels stuck in us. And some people may say that I feel stuck right now. I feel like I can't move. Mm. And again, this is going back to that idea of, you know, it sounds like such a passive thing. But in reality, if you try to tense all the muscles up in your body right now, 
even though you could do that sitting still, you realize that that's not passive at all. It actually takes quite a bit of energy. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is the freeze response. This is what it can kind of look like. And I've been enjoying sort of making the survival, uh, like if we think of a survival situation analogy. So again, why don't we do, it? if you're getting attacked, you think you might be getting attacked by a bear in the woods. Why might this freeze response occur? This is almost freeze. like the play dead response almost, right? No, that's actually oh. submit collapse. Oh, so totally I'm going to, I'm definitely going to edit that out of the podcast. Then. <laughs> I can't make myself sound like I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, so so then what would the well how would this freeze response kind of manifest itself then in that situation? If you saw a bear in the woods, you may freeze because you think if I don't move, they'll just move on ahead. Gotcha. Okay. So again, even though I would imagine in that moment you're not moving internally, there's probably a lot going on with you. There's a <laughs> lot of inner dialogue <laughs> totally. going on at that moment. <laughs> okay. All right, so that's sort of the survival mechanism at work. Now, let's bring it, let's bring it to the Star Wars. Uh, you know what? I'm going to try to take an educated guess here. Let me think. Is it one of the main characters? Like, is it somebody that's pretty well known? It is very well known, but it's not necessarily a character, but a phenomena that oh, occurs oh. in the Star Wars films. I threw a curveball. You threw a curveball. <laughs> I was going to guess Chewbacca just for fun. Okay, so it's a phenomenon, not a character. A lot of characters have experienced this phenomenon, but it's okay. not a character in and of itself. And that is the force stasis. When characters with force abilities freeze someone in place ah. and continue to engage with them, but they physically can't move. Mm -hmm. A very good example of this, and I'm going to... Explain very briefly, Ray, the main character of the sequel trilogy, first movie, she experiences this force stasis when she first encounters Kylo Ren. And that visual of her being frozen in place, she cannot move, but you see it in the eyes that there's a lot of fear, a lot of things going on in her head. Mm -hmm. And that is a wonderful visual to demonstrate the freeze response. And all other characters who have experienced that forced stasis all have that same visualization. They physically can't move, but in their face and in the eyes, you can see there's a lot of emotion and thoughts going on. Mm -hmm. So I actually love that the way you're choosing to illustrate this as opposed to using one specific character. Because like you said, I think it's such a great visual, right? So essentially there's a, a force power where they can free somebody in place yes. um, and even though that's happening it's not like the person is asleep or unconscious they know everything that's happening around them even though they can't move um, yes so again you can really see the understanding of and the horror sort of in their eyes as these events are unfolding around them even though they're in this freeze pattern uh, or they're frozen in place exactly Great. I, I love that visual. All right. Is there anything else we should say about the freeze response before we move on? Nope. We're good. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Tune in next week when Araceli and I discuss two more trauma responses, submit, collapse, and attach. We'll see everybody next week. <laughs>